the new Lost in Space. I'm not going to spoil anything for you. It's good. If you haven't watched it, you should. However, I will say this. The entire season felt to me like it was a setup for the actual show that's going to begin next season. Other than that, it was good. Uh, and it seemed like kind of a rip-off of the unaired pilot from 10 years ago when they tried to remake it. Anyway, give me a holler. And if you enjoyed this review, give it a thumbs up or subscribe to my Facebook page. Star Trek, our favorite frontier. That does not compute. This is Paul. And welcome to Lost in Space, a podcast hijacking our Star Trek podcast. F that Star Trek noise. F it. So, you know, we we have talked uh, previously on the podcast about how excited we were about the upcoming Netflix series Lost in Space. And Paul and I, crazily enough, have burned through the entire series, all 10 episodes over the last, what, two weeks since it's been out? Yeah, I mean, I haven't even seen more than one episode of The Punisher, but I was able to knock out this Lost in Space thing. Yeah, which, which you know, I think hints at good things. But before we start talking about the 2018 series Lost in Space, I think we ought to, you know, backtrack a little bit and, and talk just a brief moment about the earlier iterations of this franchise. Uh, Lost in Space was created by Irwin Allen. You might recognize his name from such credits as uh, The Poseidon Adventure. I believe The Towering Inferno was his as well. He was a big disaster movie guy. He's also responsible for the television show Land of the Giants. Uh, you know, he, he, he was quite the storyteller back in the 60s and 70s. Lost in Space was a contemporary of Star Trek, which is why we feel like it's appropriate in this podcast. Uh, the two shows went head-to-head for about a year, year and a half. Uh, Lost in, the original Lost in Space ran from 1965 to 1968, whereas Star Trek ran from 66 to 69. Um, you know, Gene Roddenberry had issues with Lost in Space, Paul. I don't know if you knew that or not. Uh, he didn't regard mm-hmm. it. He didn't regard it as true sci-fi. He felt that Irwin Allen was a storyteller, whereas he saw himself in Star Trek as a philosopher. Interesting. I, I think that the differences are are obvious when you watch the shows. You know, Star Trek is your science fiction. You know, for the time, telling you know genuine and and uh, you know rather hardcore science fiction stories in those uh, first two two to three years of Star Trek. Whereas you know, Lost in Space was more of a family adventure show. Right? It was it was your family hour. You know, it was something that everybody in the family could watch. Um, very much, uh, you know, geared toward towards camp, particularly in the later seasons, um, you know, and, and not not nearly so much as a uh, as a as a more mature uh, adult adventure hour. Well, I think that's an apt comparison, really, when you're talking about the Lost in Space versus uh, Star Trek. I don't know that I would. You know, I, I think they they filled some. If you're looking at them as a Venn diagram, I feel like there is an overlap in those circles, but they're, you know, they, they also have different, they also fulfill different things, right? I think Lost in Space was more fun uh, adventure, um, whereas Star Trek, you know, was a bit more, I don't want to say cerebral, but it certainly took itself more seriously. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I would agree with that. And I would actually use the word cerebral uh, in a number of those episodes, right? Where a lot of it was just sort of a headspace kinds of stuff. But, uh, you know, certainly the, the two were, were in the same cloth in terms of science fiction, but uh, not necessarily in the same style, right? Uh, yeah. You know, two, two very different shows despite being in the same genre. You know, there are things about that original TV show that I just love, Paul, and one of the things that I love about it is the unaired pilot. And uh, we tried to get Paul <laughs> access to the unaired pilot before we recorded, 
Um, but and, and though we found a link, which I will include in the show notes if you want to go see it, we found it too late to uh, to watch it prior to the show. I actually have it on the Blu-ray collection. I've got all three seasons on uh, on Blu-ray. Aaron has it ingrained in his memory. I do. I do. I, you know, I, I I I have to say. I really like Lost in Space. I don't love it like I do Star Trek, but it does have a has a a, a very special place in my heart because uh, it's science fiction I grew up on. You know, I started. I'll be honest with you. I, I as a kid, I watched that in repeats before I ever watched Star Trek in repeats. Lost in Space has a certain following, right? It certainly doesn't have a Star Trek rabid – well, I don't even want to say Star Trek necessarily has a rabid fan base. But it certainly has a, a, a dedicated fan base that has followed it throughout the years. Whereas Lost in Space – we're going to talk about this here in a minute – hasn't really had anything more than a feature-length presentation since its initial inception back in the 60s. So, you know, it, it, it is remembered as a nostalgic piece rather than an ongoing uh, property like a Star Trek or a yeah, Star Wars. I would agree. You don't have a lot of ongoing continuity with uh, Lost in Space. There are some things that I really cherish about Lost in Space, and one of those is the design aesthetic. You know, I, it's very, uh, even though it was shot in the 60s, it's very 1950s and it's sort of science fiction design sensibilities. You know, the saucer for the Jupiter 2, uh, I, the, the uh, landing pod. You know, the little excursion module they had looks very much like a lunar lander. You know, there, there, are, there are certain aspects of, of the show that, that model itself on NASA at the time. The, the spacesuits that they wore have got sort of that silver LeMay look to them that the Mercury astronauts wore, right? Um, I love that. And one of the things that just used to captivate me was the chariot, you know, the, the sort of <clears> – <throat> mobile excursion vehicle that they would drive around on the planet, which was an actual, you know, uh, vehicle that they built. It was a real tangible vehicle that, that ran, that they would run across the set. Um, it was, and, and that's one of those things in the, uh, the nowhere to hide unaired pilot that I just found fascinating, you know, is, is how tangible the, uh, the effects were and how tangible the, the, uh, the vehicles were. I mean, just they were just so very tactile. It was just wonderful. Um, I love the design of the robot, and that's you know I'm a, I'm a little sad, and we'll talk about this when we get to talk about the Netflix show. Uh, I wish that they had taken some design elements from the original robot and incorporated them into the 2018 robot because there's very little, very little that's that's any kind of similar about those two designs. Uh, and I understand why they went the way they went, but I, I just wish that there had been some little bit that uh, that reflected back on that design. Yeah, or perhaps a little bit more of an homage. But again, we're going to get there. We're yeah. going to get there. So I'm jumping ahead. <clears throat> so 30 years after Lost in Space goes off the air, out comes the Lost in Space most Lost in Space motion picture with uh, William Lost Hurt. In space. Lost in Space. Sean Connery was in it. <laughs> For Sean Connery. Uh, <clears throat> well, Sean Connery's podcasting with us, Paul. Oh. Um, <laughs> Uh, but you, you had Lost in Space with William Hurt playing the role of John Robinson, the role played by uh, Guy Williams in the original series. You had Mimi Rogers, uh, you know, Tom, Tom Cruise's first wife, uh, oh, yeah. playing the role of uh, Maureen Robinson, played by June Lockhart in the original show. <clears throat> and in his action film debut one mr matt leblanc uh joey from tv's friends uh sorry <laughs> uh, playing major don west uh in 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 this movie um i think one of the one of the key flaws of this film there's a time travel uh element to this story and there is an old mature older mature uh will robinson and they do yes. not use bill mummy to play that role you know, the, the 30 year older Bill Mummy should have and could have played that role. And I, I've always felt like that was a huge mistake not to do that. Yeah, I would agree. Um, but, you know, you, you forgot the most important part of Lost in Space. And I, I just want to clarify something that Aaron seems to have forgotten, which is that Heather Graham. Yeah, yeah. Heather Graham played uh, Judy. Yeah, she played Judy, Roller Girl herself yeah, from Boogie Nights. That is that is true. That is true. You know, <clears throat> I, I think one of the um, the important things to note 
is that the girls in the original Lost in Space, in the 1966 version, or 1965 version, are rather inconsequential. You know, uh, June, Judy, and Penny, you know, mom and the two daughters, really fill sort of, you know, know, stereotypical, traditional 1960s-era female roles. So even though June is Dr. June Robinson, right? She's a biochemist. Does nothing biochemical <laughs> in that show. She does the laundry. She clears the dishes. She makes dinner. You know, she does those kinds of things that you would expect, you know, the mother to do and father knows best, right? Yeah. Um, you know, it's very much, you know, a pearls and dress while you, uh, you know, clean the, the, the spaceship. Um, and that's a big difference at when you get to the 1998 film because Heather Graham playing the role of Judy is very competent in that film and very saucy, you know, in her relationship with Major Don West. Are you there? I am here. Okay. So, uh, you know, so we, we see those gender roles changing. And that's, I want to stop you, stop you here for just a moment, Paul. Did you like the 98 film? I do like the 98 film. I, I don't know why you're stopping me. I wasn't saying anything, Aaron. No, I'm I just, just sitting I here to, listening to the dulcet tones of your voice. Well, I, I, I wanted to check in. You know, I wanted to check in because I know a lot of people hate that movie. I don't hate it. And now here's the thing. Is it a great film? Far from it. Right. It is a, It is an easy watch on a Saturday afternoon. Um, I, 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 it is an inoffensive film to me. Um, you know, it's directed by Stephen Hopkins. If you're not familiar with Stephen Hopkins, uh, he was one of the guys who produced and directed several episodes of the first season of 24, still probably the only good season. He also directed Predator 2, mm-hmm. you know, which, which was I kinda, pretty. I kind of like that movie. I, I like Predator 2. Yeah. Um, and as well as uh, he, uh, he did the Nightmare on Elm Street 5, The Dream Child, also a good film. Mm-hmm. Assistant director on Highlander. Yes, I'm reading Wikipedia right now, but he's got he's, <laughs> he's not a, he's he's a relatively talented dude. You know he um he, he does mostly TV work now, but I, I think Lost in Space is a competent uh, film, a product of its time. You know it, you know the, if was... you look at the actors in the film, you had Heather Graham, you had Lacey Chabert, you had Matt LeBlanc. I mean, you you certainly have. Um, actors who were popular at that time. Yeah. Well, and if you look at the box office, it's actually a fairly successful film. Yeah. It did fairly well. It didn't blow the doors off. It wasn't a Marvel movie, for God's sake. But for 1998, it did pretty solid, pretty solid box office. Yeah. And I got to say, you know, it is a movie that I own on DVD. I don't own it on Blu-ray. I haven't, I haven't rebought the film. But I, I do enjoy it. I put it in from time to time. There are two things that annoy me about the movie. The fact that Bill Mummy's not in it because it just seems... I don't know why you would have cast anybody else in that role to play the older version of Will Robinson. That just makes absolutely no sense to me. Yeah. And then, and, and maybe there was a valid reason, like, you know, Bill Mummy told us to take a hike. I don't think that's the case. But, uh, and then the other thing is I, I really didn't care for Gary Oldman in this film. You know, as, as yeah, and so Bill Mummy was offered a cameo in the film, and just to clarify that he was offered a cameo in the film, but he turned it down. Right. But it was not as the role of the older Will Robinson. Yeah, um, you know the, the the producers felt that that would be too confusing for the audience uh, because they I, didn't want to, it to 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 make it seem like this was actually connected to the original somehow. See, um, I don't think that would have been confusing for the audience at all. I think it would have been a fun thing, but you know. But yeah, but Gary Oldman was at his uh, – th- this was bad Gary Oldman. Sometimes yes. you get good Gary Oldman. Sometimes you get bad Gary Oldman. This was definitely bad Gary Oldman. He's kind of like Jeremy Irons that way. Yeah. Yeah, no, I would agree. It, there, it, it, well, and a little bit like Al Pacino, right? I mean oh, sometimes yeah, yeah. he's just chewing the scenery and you're like, Gary, stop it. Not all of this is edible. Yeah. <laughs> Not all of this <laughs> is edible. Don't, don't put all this in your mouth. You know, just <laughs> stop it. Gary, stop it. No. But, uh, Bad Gary. But you know, despite that, I like that film. I I, I like William Hurt in it. I like Mimi Rogers in it. Uh, I, I like that film. Um, yeah. I even like the design of the robot. It's not my robot, but I like the design of the robot. Yeah, it's it is it is not so far off from the original that it is. I mean, well, it, you, it's got it's got references to the original. Well, I think, and in you the still design. have and you still have the original robot voice. In the yes, movie. you know, uh, Bill Tuffeld, I think his name is. I believe so. Yeah. Um, I, and don't quote, don't get to quoting me, people. I just you, you've I already believe. been quoted. Yeah, Dick yeah. Tufeld. 
Dick. I, Dick, Bill, Bill, Dick. I think <laughs> Bill was his middle name. Uh, <laughs> I feel like it's not. But, you know, I, I thought that was a, was a nice homage. But, you know, I, I, that movie works for me. On, on almost a guilty pleasure level, I would agree. And for you know, for you guys who don't remember, 1998 when Lost in Space was released was also the same year that we had the first X Files movie. We had the Dean Devlin and Roland Emmerich Godzilla film. We had Armageddon, Deep Impact. So it is definitely a film released during that time period. Absolutely. It certainly feels like it. So we almost had. Another Lost in Space, another iteration of Lost in Space, this one called The Robinsons, colon, Lost in Space. Uh, and it was going to be a CWWB show back in two, 2003. And and Paul, Paul, did you know that John Woo directed that first episode? I was aware, yeah. That's crazy. I, you know, he was, uh, I think this was, so this was what, 2000 what? You said again? 2003, 2004. 2003, 2004. So this was John Woo. He was still kind of riding high on some of his uh, some of his stuff that he was doing in the U.S. Like his uh, yeah, it was uh, at the end of his U.S. work. It was right before he went back to China. Exactly. You know, I mean, he 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 didn't really have a ton of success with his U.S. films. He you know he had that Mission Impossible film that really no one likes. Um, You know, he had Hard Target with the Jean-Claude Van Damme. But this was right after Paycheck, which was the um, – and Wind Talkers. So the Nicolas Cage war movie and uh, the Ben Affleck sci-fi film. So, yeah, this was – you're right. This, and, and after this, he took a couple years off. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, this was right towards the end of that. Yeah. Uh, it did not it did not launch to to a full season, right? They made like the the yet another unaired pilot, right? Again, continuing the uh, similarities with Star Trek because, you know, Star Trek had an unaired pilot, The Cage, that didn't get aired for, yeah. you know, 30 years. Uh, but uh, this one I think we dodged a bullet on, Paul. This one I think was the one not to make. If you weren't going to make a Lost in Space, this was the one not to make. Because this looks so much like uh, some of the other crap you see on you know, the, the CW and the WB, right? Yeah. Uh, very much uh, a, a teeny bopper kind of thing, but but isn't uh, the the actress who is in who's in Friday Night Lights in the Orville wasn't she in that uh, that pilot? Yeah, I believe she was. Um, she yeah, uh, Adrian Palicki. Yes, I believe she played yeah. Judy. Yeah, yeah. So I mean that that might have made it worthwhile, but uh, yeah. I, I do. I'm not sure she could have pulled that out for us. So uh, I, I, I think we dodged a bullet here. Yeah. Um, I, I would I would not disagree with that. Uh, you know, it, it, I, it, it, I don't know. For me, it feels like even some Lost in Space would have been better than no Lost in Space, going back to me uh, talking about how keeping the property relevant. But maybe that would have killed it even more and we wouldn't have had what we uh, – yeah, what, what we, we what we just got. Uh, interesting factoid: the producers of the uh, Battlestar Galactica series, uh, the the most recent reboot, bought the assets from the show Lost in Space and redesigned I, I and used that. them. I knew that, and and used it in one of my favorite things: the uh, the uh, bridge set for the Battlestar Pegasus. Yes, that that my my personal, I've got a huge crush, a deep and abiding crush on. Uh, on uh, oh gosh, what was her? What, what's the actress's name? Um, Help me out here. Uh, oh, she played uh, uh, Kane in Battlestar Galactica, and she was uh, Ensign Rowe in Next Generation. And God, it's right on the tip of my tongue. I do not know. You know her name. I don't you know, know her name. I wouldn't Hold know on. it. I don't know. I don't know. I, got, I have the interwebs right here. Uh, vamp for a moment. Da, 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 da. Michelle Forbes. Michelle uh-huh. Forbes. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Okay, I know who you're talking about. Uh, Michelle Forbes is wildly yummy. Wildly (laughs) Wildly yummy. yummy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, crazy in love with Michelle Forbes. But, you know, I'm going to wax on about another wild crush I have here. And that's in uh, this Netflix series, Paul. Uh, and that's a, that, that, that's a tease, because uh, first off, I want to say, you know, we start off this Netflix series with, uh, you know, all kinds of bad stuff happening, right? We open up on the Resolute, right? 
in that Correct. where we open up in, 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 in the, in the, in the first um, actually, I think we open up on the, um, the Jupiter two where they are crash landing. Oh yes, onto you're the right. Planet. Yeah. yeah and then are. we flash back to the resolution. They're playing cards. Correct. Right. They're playing cards in zero G and then we crash land on the planet. But shortly thereafter, we get to see all the shit going down on the resolute, you know, and you know, we're, we're, we're picking up little bits of information, right. About why we're out here in space. And, uh, you know, we, we get to meet our characters and, you know, the, 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 this is very much our dysfunctional family Robinson, you know, our dysfunctional space family Robinson. And, you know, in the role of Maureen, Paul, my huge, huge crush, Molly Parker. Oh, yeah. She's hotness. I, 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 I loved her in House of Cards. I love her more here. I didn't watch you know? House of Cards. Um and I'm kind of glad I didn't, given how things went there. Sure, uh, yeah. So I'm, I got to be honest, I'm not terribly familiar with Molly Parker. Um, I never saw Wicker Man or Hollywood Land or, uh, like you said, House of Cards or any of that stuff that she's been in. Um, but yeah, 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 I, yeah. yeah. I, I, she is she is fantastic. And she is the I don't want to say breakout star because she she was already an award winning yeah. actress, but she is certainly the star of this well, show. And you know, one of the things that I love so much about this TV show, we'll talk a little bit more about this as we move through the characters. But you have very strong women in this show. Yes, and the women are strong without the men being weak, and that's the thing that drove me absolutely batshit about Star Wars. That that for the women to be competent, the men had to be incompetent, right? Yeah, and and that just drove me crazy watching Star Wars. Why can't they both be competent? They've always been competent before. <laughs> so it's it's so refreshing, and it seems like a crazy thing to say, but it's so refreshing to see. Look, she's competent, and it takes none of the competence away from this other guy, and she doesn't have to be competent in the light of his incompetence. What I love about uh, Maureen is that she is passionate. She has the conviction of her of, 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 of her of her you know ethics and her goals. Mm-hmm. You know she she is she knows what she wants. She knows what she's doing, and she questions that at some point because things start going south. Uh, but you know she she has that 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 moment of of that crisis of conscience right later on in, in the series. But she by and large is just propelled. By her own actions, yeah, she is propelled by her own decisions. Uh, she is she is only thwarted by the events of others, and you know she has that very. We'll figure it out. We'll work through it. There's always an answer. You know, I, mm-hmm. I, I love that about her. I mean, I, she, I, I just, I was crushing on her from the jump because she's so fantastic. And she is, and she just gets better, really. And and I don't know Toby Stevens. So um, I, I'm unfamiliar. I, I, he looked familiar to me. Um, apparently, he was one of the leads, if not the lead. I guess I don't know on Black Sails. Yes. Um, he was also in the 13 Hours Benghazi movie, which I saw, but you know they were all kind of like bearded white guys. <laughs> right. So not really familiar with him. He was the villain, I guess. Well, in the, and all, in, all white guys look alike. Well, so. they, yeah. <laughs> he was also the villain in Die Another Day, the uh, Pierce Brosnan James Bond wow. film. But clearly not memorable enough for me to remember that. Yeah. And I, I got to be honest with you. It took a while for me to warm up to, to John Robinson in this. Same here. Same here. It, we, well, I think it took a while for him to be a warm character. I th- and well, I think that was part of the show, right? That his, Him right. growing into that. Right. He's odd man out. Yeah. Right? I mean, because we learned that he had been estranged from his family. You know, uh, he had been serving in the military. And, you know, at the beginning of the show, you see that he's kind of doing some sort of Middle Eastern, Afghanistan, Iraq war kinds of stuff, you know, in the year 2046. Keep in mind, this is 2046. Um, And then, you know, you do, they show you flashbacks of them as a happy family and the family being so thrilled that he came home for the holidays, that kind of thing. But then you also see the more recent flashbacks where he's estranged from the family. In fact, we see one just terrible moment where June has served him with papers, right? Not, not June. Uh, Maureen. Maureen has, I'm thinking of the original actress named June Lockhart. Uh, Maureen serves him with papers trying to get 
custody so that she can take the entire family onto this off-world mission. And I mean, that's something. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I mean, you're sitting there, you're, you're you're serving, deployed out in some some far off location. You find out that not only is your wife taking your kids, she's taking them to Alpha Centauri. <laughs> so, and this might be a good place to talk about, you know, why leave Earth, right? Yeah. So, you know, we find out early on in the show that a near Earth object, uh, a recently discovered near Earth object, struck the Earth. And it was huge. It was big. And they called the media called it the Christmas star. And, you know, we determined that it's throwing all kinds of crap. You know, it threw up all kinds of dust and whatnot into the atmosphere. And, you know, one of the comments is made that there'll never be another blue sky. Right, that mm-hmm. it's it's you know, and that it's affected the 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 ecosphere. Um, it has destabilized governments. We we learned that they're having to put fences up around homes to to uh, keep the element out. You know that you know the world is really kind of going to hell in a handbasket, and so a colonizing effort has begun to Alpha Centauri. Uh, you know, technology has been established that allows them to you know, travel faster than light. And so what they do is they have these Jupiter ships, which are the colony ships. And so your, your little family or group that's going to colonize together uh, populates these little uh, sublight ships. The sublight ship is docked aboard a larger interstellar ship, which is the Resolute, Right. And so the Resolute, uh, you know, takes them to Alpha Centauri. Uh, the Jupiters go down to Alpha Centauri, and they have their little colony. Or as the the you know nifty little advertisement uh, demonstrates to us, the only people who are accepted into this colony program are the best, smart people, uh, wealthy people, people who can pass all the myriad tests. And these tests are very much like the tests that. Uh, uh, we provide to our own astronauts today. You know, they're, they're physically demanding, they're psychologically demanding, they're emotionally demanding. And if you can't pass it, you can't go. Doesn't matter if your whole family's going or not. Paul, which brings us to Will Robinson. Oh, because I thought you were Will... going to ask me if I would leave you. Because the answer is yes, Aaron. Uh, Paul, you, you'll you never leave me. Well. Not uh... alive. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, so Will turns out didn't pass one of his tests and Maureen fudged his scores so that he could come along because the family had decided that, you know, we all go or none of us go. And, uh, Maureen wanted to go. So she, 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 she fudged her son's scores, you know, hacked into the, uh, into the, uh, score database and, uh, you know, fudged him to a passing grade. So here's the thing about Will. Mm-hmm. I grew to like Will, but I, ha- I struggled with Will at the beginning. Right. Um, I, and, you know, I, I, I appreciate that he's not a boy genius, that he is a flawed character, that he is kind of a, a, a weaker character than some of the others. But at the beginning of the show, he just felt too weak to me. He was a little bitch. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, and here's the thing is, I don't know. He's 11 years old in this, right? The character is 11 years old. I don't know how an 11-year-old could possibly ever pass those tests. You know, I, I, how could how could an eleven year old be smart enough to you know pass all those sort of requirements? How can an eleven year old be strong enough to pass all those requirements? How could an eleven year old have the emotional maturity to pass those those tests? I don't get it. Well, I mean, I, if you I, think I, about it, if you know, we met a number of other colonists mm-hmm. in the in this show, which we're going to talk about here in a second. I didn't notice a lot of 11 year olds. Yeah, <laughs> so no. maybe they didn't, Taryn. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I mean, <laughs> the, 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 uh, the youngest other person I recall seeing is the young man that Penny likes, right? Yeah. And I, and I would put him in the 16 ish, 17 ish yeah. age range. And so Penny is paid by uh, Mina Sandwall and our Sundwall and you know Penny is a tweener mm-hmm. what do you think 13 14 years old yeah I'd, I'd, yeah I'd and go around there here's what I don't understand about Penny is you know Penny clearly is very literate you know she wants to write she wants to write uh, she's she's you know got her head in you know classic uh, literature um, I don't understand what other value she brings 
it's not like we we've we've seen her demonstrate any other scientific skills. No, and, uh, and we never, you know, she is uh, she's the uh, the comic relief, basically. Yeah, well, and she and she she serves that role uh, well, I think. I mean, think about the nineteen ninety eight film, uh, the actress who played. Uh, uh, in whose name escapes me. I had it on my screen a minute ago and I don't have it now. Uh, but, you know, she, I, I did not find her amusing at all. Which actress are you we know? referring to? The one who played Penny in the 1998 film. Oh, um, Heather Graham. No, no. No. Uh, Lacey, Chabert. Lacey Chabert. Yes, Lacey Chabert. Um, I, I don't think that casting worked particularly well. Um, but, you know, I thought the uh, the casting of Mina Sundwall was right on par with the casting of Angela Cartwright from the 1960s show. Because, you know, Penny played a really big role in that. She was usually somebody who was getting captured, yeah. right? Uh, but, you know, she was very likable on screen. And I found uh, Mina Sundwall extremely likable. I found her to be particularly earnest on screen. Yeah, I, th- I found uh, uh, her – she was very – she was fun. She was one of the few like fun spots in in regards to the show. Um, I, I I I thought she was good. I liked her. Um, you know, I, one of the things I'm going to talk about, well, I should talk about now, I guess, in reference to the children, because we've already talked about Will and Penny, and I guess we're about to talk about Judy. Is that I found them less and less a focus of the show the more and more I went on. Yeah. Um, they were side story. They were B stories uh, yeah. rather than the A story, which as the show went on more and more, it really focused on Maureen and John and even more so Maureen than anybody else. Right. Well, and my my, my big, obje- not objection, but concern initially was how young Judy is, mm-hmm. right? The character Judy uh, played by Taylor Russell. She is uh, the character is 18 years old. And was fast tracked to a medical degree so that they would have a, do- a, a medical doctor on the mission. Um, but you know, I guess if if we're traveling faster than light, if we're you know going to Alpha Centauri, maybe they do have some sort of accelerated learning program that can make an eighteen year old a competent physician because she is. She demonstrates extreme competence, yeah. Though not though not confidence, I would say she's very competent, but not confident. Confident. Um, I thought she. She, uh, I, I think I felt like all three of the of the the child actors on this show did an amazing job not being annoying. You know, usually yeah, I, I, I can't I can't stand a child actor, but I thought all three of these these kids delivered fantastic performances. Um, and I shouldn't call Taylor Russell a kid because you know clearly she's a young woman, but she plays very young. I mean, I, I in the show I would never have guessed that she was eighteen. Okay. She did not seem 18 to me. She seems more like she's 16. Yeah, and in real life, she's 23. Yeah, and I never would have guessed that, right? But I, I thought I thought all three of them did an amazing job, and all three are such unique characters. And I love about I, I love how protective the two older sisters are of Will, and I love that Will is not like Will Robinson of the original series or even Wesley Crusher from Star Trek: The Next Generation. He's not saving the day every day. He, he is smart, yes, and he figures some things out, but he is not the smartest one there. He is not wiser than his parents. Uh, you know, I, I, I love that about this show. You know, that they, they, have, they have taken the things that really work from, from the Lost in Space model and thrown away the stuff that doesn't. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah. Uh, you know, well, so I'm going to talk about some, some aspects real quick. You know, so that, that's the family Robinson, which right. I would say most of them relatively strong consistently throughout the series. Um, John took a little while to grow on me, as did Will, but the, the women were all uniformly strong. Don West. <laughs> Played by Ignacio Sariccio. I don't he, he, I never quite connected with that character. Um, I think it's hard to connect with him. Uh, you know, the Don West from the original series was a major in the Air Force and a pilot in the Space Corps, right? Um, this Don West is characterized in the show as a smuggler and yeah. uh, as a mechanic, right? So he is he is not the he is not the counterpart to John Robinson. You know, in the in the in the original TV show, you had the very cerebral, noble John Robinson, and you had the very physical, heroic uh, uh, Don West. And I don't think I don't think this version of Don West uh, 
fits those roles other than, you know, he's sort of a scoundrel with a heroic heart. Yeah. I think he's kind of, I think he's more modeled on Han Solo than he is on Don West, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, um, but which I don't, it's the scoundrel is usually a character that I find fun and interesting, but I think uh-huh. in this show, one of the things that I, I didn't care for with Don West is that they almost seem to seemed to not a hundred percent know what to do with his character. So he right. seemed to get like random skills throughout the series, um, to make him more useful. Like the mechanic thing really only came up in the end. Uh, well, he's walking with tools and whatnot on the resolute before he has to run away. Yeah. So I mean, you know, they 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 lay a little bit of that groundwork there, but you don't actually see him doing anything. No, no. But at the end, I mean, you know, he he was a vital component to the, the launching their their mission to space, their their pod thing, as well as um, you know the the them being found. I know I'm, I'm spoiling, but you know, you've pretty much already watched this show if you're listening to this podcast. Um, but for me, Don West was definitely. I, I didn't love his portrayal in this show. Right. I, I, I don't know if I, I, I – he, he didn't seem full smuggler. He didn't seem full heroic. Um, and it, it just – for me, he was this interesting mix that for a while he just wasn't interesting at all. But, Paul, he had a chicken. The chicken was funny. Uh, you know, the, the, the chicken's one of the Easter eggs in the show because the chicken's name is Debbie, which is the same name that they gave to the space monkey uh, in uh, – in, uh, the original Lost in Space Lost in Space series, but the space monkey that would go bloop, 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 <laughs> bloop. <laughs> but, but but for me, the you know Don West, you know there were aspects of his character that I liked, even though I didn't love him. But to me, the character that I just I can't abide, I cannot abide Parker Posey as as uh, Doctor Smith. Yeah, and it's not the Doctor Smith part that bothers me; it's the Parker Posey part. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just I. <laughs> I, I want to like her, you know. Yeah. I want to appreciate the performance. I think, but I can't see. I can't get past Parker Posey to get to the character, and that's a real barrier for me. Well, and I think one, you know, Parker Posey has just such an abrasive screen presence that I think some people maybe cast her because they feel like, oh, she's the girl you will love to hate. She'll be the villain you will love to hate. But yeah, I just it, hate her. I, but I just hate her. <laughs> like you know, I hate yeah. her in, in in the way that, and I don't know her personally, so she may be a fine person, in the, you know, on a personal level. But I, I I don't enjoy her presence on the screen to the point that I don't want to see her on the screen. I don't want to see her get her comeuppance. I just want to go to the scene that doesn't feature Parker Posey in it, right? And that's how I felt right. about her. That's how I feel about her generally. That's especially how I felt about her in Lost in Space. Um, you know, she had some shining moments in her. You know, sneakiness and conniving, but generally, uh, you know, she was a weak villain. Uh, she she never felt she felt sneaky. She didn't feel like a villain, and maybe that was intentional. Um, but yeah, you know, without but there without an absence of a strong villain, there there I, I felt like some some episodes of the show kind of felt a little bit directionless. Like where are we going with this? Feels like nothing happened between the last episode and the end of this episode. And I feel like having a stronger villain would have helped with that. So Dr. Smith, and we'll throw Dr. Smith up in air quotes because Parker Posey doesn't really play Dr. Smith. It is an identity that she steals, right? Uh, on the Resolute, the, the Resolute's hull has been breached. Uh, we see a large robotic creature with you know, crazy crab-like arms. Uh, you know, killing people, blasting them, blasting people mercilessly in the hallway as they're as they're fleeing the scene, and she, she finds a guy who has injured his leg and can't walk, and she you know leans down to, to quote help him, and she pulls his jacket off so that she can get his identity, who and that is in fact the real Zachary Smith, Doctor Zachary Smith, played by our good friend Bill Mummy. Now, I didn't catch that when uh, I watched it the first time. I was watching on my iPad, but I've since gone back and rewatched it. And I, it just tickles me that that's uh, uh, Bill Mummy playing that role, Paul. Yeah, we. so I saw this um, when it premiered at AwesomeCon a couple weeks back. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yes. you, you saw it live. Yes, I saw it about two weeks <laughs> early. And uh, yeah, I, I knew immediately. And the audience did, too. Uh, you know, the, the audience of the pan and uh, that was there to see the premiere. Um, so yeah, that was that was very cool. That, that that was a good call out. 
So she, you know, uh, June Harris is her name. June, uh, the character's name is a uh, nod to June Lockhart, who played uh, Maureen in the original series, and Jonathan Harris, who played Dr. Smith in the original series. Uh, This character, June Harris, is a con person. I'd call her a con man, but that seems oddly sexist. So she's a con person. <laughs> and you know she has stolen ID, uh, IDs all across you know Earth. She's done maybe a little bit of jail time. Uh, she winds up stealing her sister's ID. And initially, I thought she murdered her sister, Paul. I thought that she didn't drug her sister as much as poison her sister. But it's made clear as she's exiting her sister's home with her sister's identity that she has you know tied up her sister and put duct tape over her mouth so that she can take her sister's place on the Resolute and on one of the Jupiter missions. I, and so that's how that's how she gets to space. I must have missed that. I didn't catch that her sister was was tied up. I mean, she cut open her arm. Yeah, she cut open her arm so she could take out the uh, the implant, the identification implant that's in the arm. Hmm. But no, her sister was alive when she left the house because I'm like, wow, this this went to a really dark place. Yeah, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but uh, uh, you know, so she, you know, the, the 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 robot is blowing up the Resolute, and you know, the the colonists are ordered to their ships in order to evacuate the ship temporarily, thinking that they get, they'll get things under control in the Resolute and they'll bring them all back. So she flees and pretends to be a member of the crew of one of the Jupiters. Don West and his friend who's with him come along. Everybody, you know, jumps off of the Resolute and ultimately crash lands. Those that survive crash land on uh, this this what seems like an Earth-like planet, except it's got a very weird ecosystem and very rapid seasons. And this is very much taken from that unaired pilot from 1965 of Lost in Space, telling very much the same type of story that that one did. That you know the the climbs just rapidly changing, uh, and we wind up in that very first episode with the Jupiter two crashing in, into a glacier and sinking beneath the ice and trapping uh, young Miss Penny, not Penny, uh, Judy, under the ice. And so the big crisis in that first episode is how do we get Judy out of the ice? Because she's going to die in there. Paul. Yeah. She's going to die. No. Yeah, she's she's going to. And, and what's nice about it, what's nice about it, is that... When she's rescued, she's got a little post-traumatic stress disorder going along with that. She's not immediately okay and ready for the next thing. She gets to deal with that for several episodes before she, you know, is ready to be her full self again. And I liked the fact that that those things had consequence. Agreed. You know, it it for a couple it, the Judy's like post-traumatic PTSD from what happens in that first episode does go for. Uh, I'd say, uh, you know, a good three, four episodes. And I, I, I like that. I, I, I like that that character evolved in those episodes. Yeah, no, I, I thought it was terrific. And the other characters are responding to it. You know, like her father, John, is telling her, you know, it's okay to deal with this. Yeah. You know, you can stay here. You can rest. You can get better. You don't have to go out there. You know, and as a combat veteran, you know, he's like, I know what that, the, what this is like. I know what it's like to go right up to the line. Don't think that you've got to impress the rest of us. And, you know, she just keeps trying to push through it. And it's not until she has another crisis that she's able to, to understand that she's competent and that she can get herself out of things. I would say more so than Penny, she actually had a character arc. She did. She did. Penny did not have much of an arc. No. Uh, Will certainly did. Yeah. You know, Will got to come to grips with the fact that his mom cheated to get him into into the uh, Colonial Corps, right? Uh, and, you know, because he, he knew he didn't pass. He couldn't figure out how he got on. He knew he failed that one test. And then he find, found out what his his uh, his mom did, and he said, I shouldn't be here. Look what I've done. You know, he, he blamed himself for the fact that Judy got trapped under the ice because the first, the first thing John suggested – was that uh, will go because he was small enough to get through the top hatch that anybody else would have to go through the lower hatch, which would take more time. And had, you know, if that fucking Will Robinson had just done as he was told, as opposed to being just a big wuss puss, everything would have been fine. A wuss puss. A wuss puss. A wuss puss. <laughs> so, uh, but that's what happens when you ask 11 year olds to be grown up heroes. True. But if he had done it, he may not have ever met this version of the robot. 
That is true. The the robot who looks uncannily similar to the robot that was busting up the joint up on the Resolute. Uncannily similar, Paul. Perhaps even the same robot. Perhaps even. Perhaps even. And, you know, the robot in his initial form is really quite scary looking. Like I said, he's got he's got like four arms and, you know, the you know kind of crab-like on the top and, and you know, just all pointy and blasty and, and killy. Uh, it's all very distressing. And uh, Will finds him torn in half, and half of him is up in the tree that Will had climbed to get away from the fire. Or actually, he had climbed the tree to get away from the robot's disembodied legs that were chasing him, and then was trapped up in the tree with the fire. And, you know, the, the, the robot's stuck up there, and it can't. it's trying to reach him to kill him. In fact, there's a scene where Will turns around and it's clawing at Will's uh, jacket, and he shreds the jacket because he's actually trying to hurt Will at that point. And Will resolves that they both don't have to die up here in, uh, in the tree when the fire comes, and so he takes his uh, his little nice uh, uh, sawing rope, which I assume is, is is crafted of some sort of special monofiber that will cut through wood and steel and whatnot, and he cuts the limb off. And allows the 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 upper half of the the robot to fall to the ground, and you know I don't know if Will thought that he would suddenly be better down there, but at least his legs were down there, and you shouldn't have to die absent your legs, right? So miraculously, the robot puts itself back together once combined with its with it, all of its big parts, it can reassemble itself, and it does, and that wins over the robot, and the robot saves Will's life, and basically turns into Will's Chewbacca. And doesn't leave his side, protects him for, uh, you know, for a good portion of the series. Um, Well, until Will has him walk off a cliff. Yeah, until Will, (laughs) (laughs) until basically during the one moment where the robot is protecting, uh, protecting someone, uh, he, he, he hurts Will's father. I mean, inadvertently. Will Will had instructed him to be bad. Yes, because right? the robot needed to defend the camp, the colonists, the other colonists from a um, a, a creature, the kaiju that were yeah, the kaiju that were coming to town. Yeah, and uh, and so you know, as 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 uh, uh, the robot is fighting, you know, Gadzuki and, <laughs> and uh, you know Godzilla Junior, um, he has gone bad and inadvertently hurts John, as I recall. Right? Isn't that how it goes? Correct. Yeah. And uh, and so because – well, that was how he got revealed. He hurt John when the woman came in to shoot uh, the robot. And yeah. he, his self-defense uh, made him push John out of the way and hurt John and then you know took the gun away from the woman. But the interesting is, thing is that he didn't kill the woman. He just was a little too gregarious in trying to get to her. And you know, thus not understanding how breakable the the human people are, and I believe that's how that scene went. Yeah, it is. And so, so then, then then we'll ask the robot. So keep in mind, this is probably the third time in the series, which is one of my qualms with the series, which is that just the repetition of some uh, of, uh, of the the stretch out to that. I think it only was ten episodes, right? Or was it eight? Ten. 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 And even at ten. There was um, there were three times basically where the robot had to be dismissed or hidden or had to walk off a cliff. Like it felt a little bit repetitious. Like okay, now we need to uh, now the robot should walk off a cliff. But you know they had in previous episodes the robot had to um, either go away or be hidden in a cave or something like that. And then the robot comes back as evil under the control evil. of Doctor Fake Doctor Smith. Yeah, fake Dr. Smith. Yeah. And so, you know, uh, Will walks him off the cliff. June Harris, a.k.a. fake Dr. Smith, rebuilds the robot, brings him back under her control. And, you know, the the tides are turned. Now the shoes on the other foot. The tables are turned, Paul. It's all it's all the upside is down. That's all I'm saying. Yes. And so, you know, the we how do you feel about the robot in this series? Well, you know, I don't care for the design. He's too humanoid in design. Um, I don't like that he walks around like a person. I prefer the robot to be more robotic. It's definitely um, a man in a, in a suit for the majority of the right. series, which I got to be honest, I didn't hate. Um, well, I may not have just, loved the design, but I, I am 
appreciative that they didn't go full CG on it. No, me too. I'm glad that it's a, that it's a tactile thing, yeah. right? That they're not having to act against you know a somebody in a uh, in a green screen suit. But you know, I, I I'm not wild about the design. I'll just leave it at that. I I think the design uh, could have used a, a little looked a little bit more gadgety as opposed to looking so. Uh, you know, organic. It looked basically like one of the modern Transformers, like one of the modern Transformers, which I hate that that those designs are overly complicated for no real reason. Right. Yeah, I don't like. I don't love the design of it, but I liked the character. Yeah, I liked the role that it. Yeah, played. agree. So as as the show moves on, we're learning more and more about uh, about the robot. We're learning more and more about what made folks leave Earth, and one of the things we learn. Is you know we know that 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 near Earth object, the Christmas star, struck the Earth and and caused problems with the ecosphere, but there is a moment in the show where they're on the alien ship that the robot rode on and it crash landed with everybody else's ships, uh, and that by the way let me stop and say the fact that they include other colonists in this show is brilliant. I think it's brilliant. Uh, yeah, it was a fantastic this, idea. I, I, in this first season, to include the other Jupiters, because you know that was always one of the questions: if there's a Jupiter two, what about the Jupiter one? What about a Jupiter three? Well, now there's all these Jupiters, right? Um, I think it was brilliant. It gave them it, it gave them other characters to play off of, uh, and, and I love that about this first season. Um, but you know, we learn uh, as as uh, Maureen and uh, fake Dr. Smith are on the the crashed alien ship. She's like, oh, my God, I've seen this before. I know what this is. And she realizes that the star drive on the Resolute is exactly the same as the star drive on the alien ship, which leads us all to believe that that thing that crashed on Earth was not an asteroid. It was, in fact, an alien ship, and we stole their technology to build our interstellar starship. I love this storyline. I love the fact that, you know, it seemed in the beginning that the robot was just some mad alien shooting the joint up. He was a mad alien trying to get his technology back, you know, that there's something important about that technology that they need, and they were going to retrieve it because we had stolen it. Even the fact that, you know, finders keepers, I think, is a law. Uh, yeah, I, th- I but, mean, it's, cer- uh, <laughs> it's certainly Earth law, and so you have to respect it when you're on Earth. But, you know, I, one of my questions I have uh, about the whole exodus into space is I cannot imagine that a government would ever f- spend the money that is spent to send all these people to Alpha Centauri when so much of their constituency is being left behind. You know, when I mean, unless the government officials all have tickets off planet and all of their family members as well um, and and their girlfriends <laughs> all have tickets off. I don't know how that works. I think you're just supposed to sp- suspend disbelief. Yeah, I, I think you're supposed to not think that that hard about it. But I, I do struggle with that, that, OK, you couldn't pass the test, so you can't go to Alpha Centauri. Sorry, we're robbing you of all your resources to fund our interstellar space exploration program. Bye. <laughs> because it's they're leaving the people on Earth, but it's not like they're about to die, right? It, you know, we're not they're not getting off of no, Earth. No, it's just Earth is fucked up. Yeah. Which I found interesting. Like Earth is still out there. It's just basically got no no sunrise. They're, you know, they're moving to a better place, but it's not like Earth is dead. No, it's just dying. Yeah. Yeah. And a slow death, clearly, but still not any place you want to be. No. But, you know, we find out that, you know, we stole this technology. This technology did not come about naturally. It's not something we learned. It's something that we stole, right? Um, and it begs the, the question, why Why are the robots people so bent on getting it back? Is it just, hey, that's mine, not yours? Or is there something else about it, right? Because they wound up jumping somewhere. They wound up, when they wound up on the uninhabitable planet, the planet that they ultimately had to get off of because it was so weird, right? Um, they, they were in a completely different part of the galaxy. So the, the drive possibly is capable of things that they aren't aware of, mm-hmm. right? Or there was, they were in proximity to a black hole. So maybe that played a part of it as well. 
But uh, it's it's super interesting. I think it asks a lot of questions. I mean, you know, there's part of me is like, is this where they where they you know hatch their young or something like that? I mean, is there is there something intensely personal about that star drive uh, rather than just being a lost piece of technology? Which uh, you know, hopefully, and as of the time of, that we're talking about this, uh, Lost in Space has not been announced to have a second season. It has not, and I'm very disturbed by that. Yeah, I'm a little, I'm a little concerned, right? Because typically, when it comes to Netflix, they'll announce right away. Yeah. Well, and I noticed in the week after the show came out, the the reviews were not good. Yeah. And I have noticed over the last week that the reviews have improved. You know that, but I mean, the Rotten Tomatoes score is like less than sixty percent. Wow. Yeah, and that surprises me because Paul, I liked this show from beginning to end. Yeah, you know, I, I was I liked this show so much that I was able to get past Parker Posey, and that never happens for me because I can't stand her in anything I've ever seen her in, and I don't like her in this, but I like everything else on the screen so much the the special effects, the acting, the the characters. I just I love it all. Yeah. I've really enjoyed this, and I am so excited. For what's coming in season two? Yeah, I, if there is a season, I, two. I am hopeful there's a season two. I really enjoyed this this season, um, this first season of Lost in Space. Hopefully, first season of Lost in Space. Um, you know, if I, I you know, I've, I've mentioned some qualms in it, but in overall, an overall issue I had with the series, and not one that that means I didn't enjoy the series, but one that would have helped my enjoyment more, is that I wish they had fun with it, um, a more more fun. Uh, you know, there were moments of it, but I think a lot of shows forget that sometimes you just have to have fun. Like people don't want to always see dysfunctional sadness, angst. Sometimes people just want to see fun. And I, I, I feel liked, like a lot of shows forget that Star Trek seems to have forgotten that, mm-hmm. you know, the DC universe, you know, and, and people wonder, you know, what is the what's the nut that Marvel has cracked, you know, and people are like, oh, well, it's connected universes and things like that. But it's really not. It's just the fact that their films are fun. I will say that, that one of the things that I really liked about this show is that they didn't drag out the the core dysfunction to the family, which was the estrangement between John and Maureen. Um, they did resolve that, you know, uh, late in the in the in the season, where the two of them love each other again, and they are, you know, yeah, they're they're they're, they're the, a team again. Yeah, at the beginning, it, there was a really sort of a fight for dominance between the two of them. That Maureen felt like she was in charge, and he's like, "Well, I'm the military commander. Really, this ought to be my gig." And they they kind of fought about it, and then you know they had this shared crisis together, and they they both sort of you know empty all of their pent up you know, uh, uh, hurts and pains about the other. And they come to an understanding and they, they come back to loving each other again. And the, the colonial governor or whatever, the the guy who is the director of the colony, who is supposed to be quote in charge of everything turns to John and he goes, who, so I guess you're in charge now. And he turns as Maureen's walking. He's like, no, we are meaning him and Maureen. And I'm like, yeah, motherfucking. Yeah. (laughs) And, and again, it goes back to that thing that they can both be competent. They can both be good at what they do. They can be equals. That one doesn't have to be, you know, competent at the sake of the other. And I just, I, it really turns me on to this show. I, I think this, you know, we, we live in an age where we are looking to think outside of standard gender roles. And I think this is one of the few things in our, in our wheelhouse, you know, in, in, in our genre that does that effectively. Um, I, I was just highly impressed with Molly Parker's performance okay. and, and the writing around it and, and Toby Stevens, who took me a while to warm up to him. But man, once I did, I am on fire for Toby Stevens. Agreed. And so hopefully <laughs> hopefully we'll get a second season. Unfortunately, given the nature of this this series, um, you know, the, the bulk releases... Uh, you know the, the the fact the special effects and all the and and the fact that we're not reusing um, a lot from the first season based on how right. the show ended. It, it it is probably second half of 2019 before we're seeing another season of Lost in Space. I, I saw I read an article and they were saying you know it would not be unlike Netflix to have already secretly greenlit season two and already be shooting some of it. Um, they were saying though that it would probably be late 2019 before or mid 2019 before we got a first trailer dang but but i was 
highly amused at something I saw uh, Molly Parker comment on. She was being interviewed, and they said, uh, you know, what are you doing to get ready for, for, uh, for, for a possible season two? And she's like, I'm going to the gym. I had no idea how physically demanding this job was. I am going to the gym. Smart. <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought that was hysterical. Yeah. So we're now that you've heard what Paul and I thought about Lost in Space, uh, let us know what you think. Uh, give us a call, 972-763-5903. That number, once again, is 972-763-5903. And if we use your voicemail on the show, you'll win a coveted, valuable, ideology of madness surprise. Well, thank you guys for listening. Uh, you can also send us an email with your thoughts, um, ideologyofmadness at gmail.com. You can hit us up on Twitter at ideologymadness or on Instagram at iomgeek. Definitely let us know what you thought of Lost in Space Season 1 on Netflix. Um, and if you want to see a Season 2. Yeah, let us know. And hey, back here next time in the feed, Paul and I wrap up our Enterprise tour of the Mirror Universe, watching part two of In a Mirror Darkly. And then after that, we're going to change over to our Property Brothers podcast. <laughs> we're totally doing Yeah, that. we're going to do it. Totally doing that. Uh, well, yeah. Jonathan and, uh, and the other, Drew. Yeah, uh-huh. we're doing it. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah, I don't know what any of that is, but yeah, we're definitely doing it. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Catch you later. Danger, danger. Star Trek with Aaron and Polly is a production of IOMGeek.com. Have a question or comment? Hailing frequencies are open at 972-763-5903. Tribble wrangling provided by... Try Scullion Trays, no troublesome tribbles. Mr. Aponte's wardrobe provided courtesy of Garrick's Clothiers, conveniently located on the promenade. That that went, actually, I thought it would be more like half an hour. Well, you know, we have lots to say about Molly Parker. Yeah, we do. Who is indeed yummy. Yes, yes, she is. (laughs) 